Welcome to another episode of Left or Dread. I'm one of your co. Woo! So spoopy. Uh, I'm one of your co-hosts, Chris Sampson, and I'm your other host, Ryan Merlot. And uh, what are we doing today, Ryan? For all of our curious dreadfuls. Today we are exploring werewolves but not just like any werewolves specifically two movies that came out six months apart from each other that's right i am talking about the howling and american werewolf in london yeah no kidding 1981 was the year of the werewolf um, it was i if i remember correctly uh an american werewolf in london was the first one in 1981 and then it was followed by um, the Howling and Wolfen. Um, this is my first time seeing The Howling, and I haven't seen Wolfen, so... I've never seen Wolfen, but this was your first time seeing The Howling? Yes. I'm so sorry. Uh, I know, I'm sorry too. <laughs> well, okay, so, okay, so let's, let's get into this mm-hmm. for a, a minute. Mm-hmm. I do want to find out, hold on, that, which one came out first, because... Um, just for some quick fat checking, American Werewolf in London came out in uh, August 21st, 1981. Um, The Howling came out... Came out in March. The Howling was first. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, That's what I thought. Okay. Never mind. I will retract my statement. Retract uh, your shit. Yes. Um, and... And Wolfen came out in uh, July 24th, 1981. Okay. So all three of them came out in the same year. We we haven't seen Wolfen, so we won't be talking about today, that today. But we will at a later date. So The Howling came out first. And it does not hold up at all. (laughs) (laughs) See, I mean... I I can I can definitely see that even though it's my first time seeing it because uh, uh, I mean okay well disclaimer I wa- I watched the American Werewolf in London which is fantastic and it's still it still definitely holds up two I watched um I watched the Howling starting at two thirty in the morning so I was my brain was pretty f- fried and. Um, that may have colored, or may have colored some of my objectivity, but I, yeah, this film, I mean, it had good elements, it had, um, it had good components to the recipe, it just didn't really execute it well, um, especially on the, like, on the cutting room floor, um, I, I, it was very disjointed and there was like these plot threads that should have been woven together more uh, flu- uh, more fluidly but it just it to me it felt like a bunch of disjoint just joint oh wow disjointed stories that were mashed together and they tried to make it fit like trying to make two puzzle pieces that don't fit like like stick together and the end result just suffered in the end that's that's how i felt it didn't feel unified and really cohesive it was the first thing being it was adapted from novel and the movie did something that the novel didn't so in the novel d wallace d wallace's character um they don't really give her any sort of sense of identity outside of being a rape survivor. So she gets raped in the in the book, and that becomes who she is. And that's really it. Uh, in the movie, they gave her a sense of self. She is an important newswoman. She is solely responsible for the quote-unquote death of a deranged serial strangler that had been attacking the area. She has an identity. She has a life. So I think that that was a nice 
and different distinction that they brought to the movie that made it better. Here's where I do think that the howling suffers. It's not from tying from the lack of connecting plots. I think that there are a lot of films that have that that exist today and some of them are actually quite decent and you can sort of ignore it. Um, where I thought that this film really fucking suffered was that your your man, Rob Botton, from uh, The Thing, did the special I effects know. for this movie. Because the guy who was supposed to do the special effects for this movie left to go do an American Werewolf in London. Oh. And left the project to Botton. To Rob. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I Botton still did a good job. He did, um, he did, but it... Yeah. it it suffers in comparison to what you see in American Werewolf in London, which, by the way, they both use practical effects. Um, but the howling just doesn't hold up the way an American Werewolf in London does. Which is surprising. And I saw the howling first. Like, back in the day, like, when I started watching all of these older movies, I started with the howling because it came first. And I was like, oh... Okay. And I ended up having an American Werewolf in London become part of like my my repertoire of movies that I love so much. So I was I just remember liking The Howling but not being as impressed with it. And I think yeah. I mean yeah, our caveat like The Howling still has a pretty big cult following and Yeah, like like I said before, like the the story elements are there. Like it's it's awesome, but I just don't. I I think it it could have been shot and filmed and written tighter. Like there were some elements that I felt like they could have cut out. Like I felt they. I mean, not to say. I mean, I I agree with you, Ryan. Like I thought, like having. Um the main protagonist being a sexual assault survivor was a pretty risky or, or maybe not risky, a pretty bold, but um, I think uh, empowering choice. And I think it's something that is, I think in the eighties, I don't think that was something they tapped into a lot. So I think it's, it was like a brush of fresh air, at least in the, like when this movie was made. Um, and I think it opened up a, I think it opens up a nice avenue for social commentary on that front. Um, but I don't think they went so far with her in the movie's development. Like, apparently in the book, I mean, that, that was the case. But I felt like they could have given her uh, more development. And I again, having multiple storylines is, is, not, is not new. And I think there was, I think, I think they, they could have woven it together because um, it, it all comes to a head in the end. Um, but I felt like there's the three separate storylines of, um, you know, the, uh, the, what's it called? The main couple plus the reporters plus the, the members of the colony, I think. I think they were they were almost there. They're almost at the finish line. They just had to do. They had to push it out an extra step. Yeah, they they tied it up in a very sloppy bow. Mm-hmm. But they did something. First of all, the Howling has since spawned seven sequels. One of which includes a remake, and th- that is fucking astounding. Um, especially considering the fact that one of the main characters survives and you see her at the end of the movie. And in two movies where you talk about werewolf transformations, and I have to say that Dee Wallace, who is the title character, 
transforms into the cutest little werewolf you've ever seen. Like, she just looks adorable. She doesn't look frightening. She looks yeah. adorable. She, she, you know what she reminded me of? She reminded me of that scene where, um, in the Harry Potter movies where Hermione takes and the Polyjuice potion like and turns into, like, half of Mrs. Norris and, like, half a person. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like... She like really uh well um I think yeah D Wallace plays Karen right so when Karen transforms in the end she just looks like a big oversized furry cat person and not like a not at all wolf. like and her like, oh. like her colony <laughs> counterparts like she looks like you remember like back in the day when FIO Schwartz was a much bigger store you know those gotta get a yeah gun? um dogs. That's what she looks yes, like. Yes, yes. She looks like one of the stuffed yeah, animals she... you can buy from F.A.O. Schwartz. And it's adorable. She did not no, inspire terror. No. <laughs> but it's also a really tragic moment because you see her, like, start crying and... Because she knows mm. she's going to die. And mm. that is a tragic moment. Yeah, that... Yeah, both of these movies are tragedies her, and her friend was uh, waiting off screen with a gun filled with silver bullets to do her in on live mm-hmm. television and mm-hmm. and like the and the, just to add to that a lot of people assumed it was special effects or it was some crazy the uh, avant-garde and TV there are special, but there are people so. that believed that it was real and they're very non-plus about it so that makes me think that you're in a universe where werewolves exist and you know that and this is just the first time you've seen it because he was the guy in the bar at the end was very like blase about the whole thing if i was watching live television and i saw someone turn into a werewolf i would be like time out werewolves are real but you heard the two kids at the end like, Mommy, the news lady's turning into a werewolf. Like, it just seems that they exist in a universe where they're aware of the existence of these beings. Not to mention the fact that this is also just like bonus side note. Uh, this movie and Gremlins exist in the same universe. Oh, yeah, well, because uh, the director also directed Gremlins. Yeah. Um, what's his name? And they're, uh, and they, Joe one Dante. Of the, yes. And one of the characters is... is crossed over between the two universes mm-hmm. so good i love it like uh, honestly i just i feel like they could have cut out one part of the like the, the three main stories and still I, I feel like you know the colony stuff was awesome i think that's like a perfect setup uh or it's just sort sort of like um like one of my other favorite films uh, or like similar, similar to Rob, well, we we talked about Rob Button, like the thing, or one of my favorite vampire films of all time, Thirty Days of Night. Like part of the horror is, you know, being in this remote, isolated location, um, and then you're surrounded by people who are weird, and the reason why they're weird, they're all secretly wearables, and I, I felt like they didn't focus on that uh, enough. Um, maybe that was just me, but. I feel I felt like I felt I felt there wasn't a de- enough development of the colony because they kept jumping back and forth between like the reporter stuff, which is still important. But like I I just think the transitions weren't handled that well. So in the end, I felt like there wasn't enough development of the colony. I don't know if that you felt the same way or not. I felt well, not just of the colony. I think th- so. When she goes to the retreat, she goes there with her husband. Yeah, what's his name? Bill? I think, was it Bill? Bill had, Bill was useless. I'm sorry. I think that while, yes, it's important to have the husband for her infidelity plotline and that whole cartoon scene with the two, whatever, you could have killed two birds with one stone by instead of making him her husband, you could have just knocked him out completely. And, yeah, you could have knocked Bill out completely. And you could have had her still go there with Terry. You could have still had a scene down by the campfire somehow. Um, And you still could have had her co-worker 
find all that like there was a way to like tie all that together you could have had the co-worker show up earlier have that scene down by the fire there's no jealous rampage to go on but at least you have a connect between all of that it also cuts out a fair bit of the movie um but with the co the female co-worker still there you still get to have the eddie quist scene and his transformation they're just little things that i think you could have like like done yeah i don't think bill added as much he didn't add anything to this movie no he and and i felt i felt i i really liked the relationship between terry and karen um so i felt like if you could cut out cut out bill and focus more on like the character development and relationships between Terry and Karen. I think that would have made Terry's inevitable inevitable death uh, a lot more impactful and more heart wrenching. Oh, yeah. So I think cutting Bill out is definitely thing number one. Um, having an escaped colonized werewolf with serial killer tendencies is also an interesting plot line that I'm happy they went with. But this movie also sort of stuck with some of the mythos that you have grown up hearing about werewolves, like like silver bullets. That's not something you hear about in American Werewolf in London. It's not... Also the fact that, like, werewolves, uh, if you don't kill them or dispose of them properly, they can, like, Yes, come they back. can regenerate, oh, which is... is also very different as well, which I, I liked. Again, they had the right idea. There were things that... And watching this in the early 90s and even in the late 90s, the movie still held... It still hold, held water. Like, it was still good. But watching it now, it definitely does not hold up, in my opinion. Now, if I watch it in another 10 years, my opinion might change. But if you're looking at this movie, especially in terms of creature effects, I do not believe that this movie like set the standard for werewolf movies the same way American Werewolf in London did. And I, and I, as much as I love Rob Button, I think there was a little. This is early on in his career, I think. Oh, um, definitely. Yeah, because the thing didn't come out until at least like five years later, I think. Um, so I think this is probably one of Rob Button's earliest films. Uh, I know he worked on a couple other projects around this time, but I think this is probably one of his first major ones. Don't get me wrong. I, I understand the bubbling effect that he used with the latex and the straws and the syringes underneath the skin. And I think that that is an incredible effect. But you are watching a person literally take the form of something else. And I just would have liked it to have not taken as long. Although, you know, you are changing your body, so that could take forever, for all we know. There were just certain... I guess, you know what it is? I've seen longer transitions for stuff like that. And I just think that there's a there's a way to do it. Uh, in one of the articles that I read to prep for this episode, they were talking about how there's no other transformation that tops this one. So this is your big climactic transformation, but there's nothing else that sort of marries it all together. There isn't another transformation that ever occurs. I mean, you have the group, but you don't get to see everybody do it together. You just see furry hands hitting up against a door. Uh, there isn't anything else to sort of compare this to. So you feel slighted in a way when you watch this. I've... I've... The one thing that bothered me about the transformation scene is how they framed it with the narrative. Like, this is near the third act where the serial killer guy, uh, Eddie, he's transforming in front of Terry. And this, I, I, I guess, like, in real time, or, like, movie, quote-unquote, real time, this would have taken, you know, maybe 30 seconds, under, under, under a minute. But... From and from the watch time standpoint, it felt like the transformation was dragging, which I can, I I can understand because like you want to you want you want to cue in and deep dive into like the whole um, body horror element of the transformation scene. But in terms of the story, 
like for how long it seemed that Eddie was transforming, Terry could have just ran out of the office like scot free because he they were taking their sweet time with this transformation scene, and I felt like Terry had plenty of time to to like, escape. So and like I've seen, like I said, I've seen long transformation scenes like that before. Like there's one of my other all time favorite werewolf movies is a Canadian movie from 2000 called Ginger Snaps. And her transformation takes place in the back of a van and the other people don't know what's happening. And they're having a very frantic conversation and it goes to the back and they're having a very frantic, and it just keeps going back. But her transformation is not happening quickly. Like every time it goes back there, there's just like a little bit more, but it is disgusting. She looks gross. So by the time the van pulls into the house and she gets out of the van, she's a wolf. There is no more person left. And there was a person when they threw her in the back of the van. Um, the distance that it took for them to drive, it was not It was not short. So I just like, there's a way. But I think that makes, that scene makes sense. Because like, she's isolated from the rest. So they don't know what's going on. So. Yes, but it didn't feel long. You know what I mean? Like, they cut away. She, there was... Uh, more of a distinct difference in the way she looked every time he went back to her. Um, that's part of the reason why Landis, I felt, did such a great job with the way they did Naughton's transformation sequence. This was far too much time staring at the same bubbling effect. Mm, yeah, I, I totally get that. And again, it, I'm not saying it wasn't impressive because for the time it absolutely was. Uh, I'm just saying that I think that they took too much time on that. Like, um, if Eddie had been holding her in place and all of a sudden his arm gets bigger and it becomes more like a wolf, then she has a reason to stay put and not move because she's sort of trapped under the hold of a literal wolf man at that point instead of just a man. No, but they, 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 they did a camera focus of like his bubbling face for like three minutes. And it's like, okay, Terry, you can get out of here. <laughs> his snout hasn't even grown yet. You're, you're good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it just, it, it sort of, it pull, and they're right. It pulls you out of that moment. You have this big climactic scene and that's it. This, this is the only full werewolf scene you actually see in this entire movie. And it's sort of disappointing because in a movie like the howling, I, I want to see some fucking werewolves. Yeah. I mean, you have a colony, you have, you know, you have like eight, nine werewolves. I mean, we know that the colony lives because the nymphomaniac is at the end. And I love this. <laughs> when they're going down the line of people and they're all talking about the broadcast. And they're like, my lady friend here wants her steak. Well, how do you want it done, honey? And she looks deadpan into the camera and goes, rare. <laughs> I mean, unlike, unlike Landis, who was out to deliberately make a horror comedy, I think like the howling is unintentionally funny in some places. And like, um, I'm sure, I'm sure the rare part was meant to be horrific, but it, it just played as like pure deadpan. I also just, I also just found her to be incredibly comical and she's not supposed to be. She's supposed to be this sexual being and she's supposed to be diving into these needs and she's very fetishized and very like alluring. And I found her hilarious. She, to me, so in, and we'll get to this, in a specific part of an American Werewolf in London, we find ourselves in a porno theater. Yeah, that's a common theme in both movies. And probably, probably Wolfen 2. I don't know. It came out the same summer. Probably Wolfen 2. I, I think it's probably like an 80s thing. But in an American Werewolf in London, they, one during one of the scenes, you get to see some of the act, quote unquote acting that's not just sex in these porno movies. And the girl that is acting in the movie, The American Werewolf in London, is exactly what this outrageously sexual female reminds me of. Like, it looks like she's poorly imitating a porn star from the 80s. Yeah. And it bothers me immensely. <laughs> because I'm like, no. I, there's no erotic way to like cook a cook a dead chicken or like cook a dead rabbit, but she tried anyway. And I'm like, this looks like a porno. It looks like they just said you're supposed to be a nymphomaniac. And the way she decided to do her homework for that was to watch a bunch of '80s porn, like '80s and '70s porn. And I I couldn't I couldn't handle it. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a choice. It, it was... It, 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 it was a choice, and it didn't come off as, like... Like... A tri- I maybe like seductive exactly. or erotic. It just came off as really the awkward. Movie though, because it ends because the second movie starts right where the first one ended, so it's dealing with like her and it's dealing with like the aftermath of someone transforming into a werewolf and then getting shot on live television. Uh, I think, I think I I <laughs> I think the first movie is enough. I don't think she needs a second movie all to herself. I think we need to explore all seven movies. Hopefully she dies in that one. I, I couldn't say for certain, but I think knowing how we feel about this movie and knowing that it spawned seven sequels, we have to watch the rest of them. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, on, it's on tape. We're, we're committing to it. Like we, we, have to, we have to do this. Wait, so if there's seven sequels, and uh, this is me going to blind, it's, it goes Howling 2 through 5 or 6, and then the last one is a remake of the original. Okay, um, have, you se- have you seen any of the Howlings after 2 or like 3? No, I haven't okay. seen any of the Howlings I- past 1. I just know, I just like, I started reading into this and I was like, no, you know what? If we're going to do all of these, I don't want to read anything about the rest of these movies. I'm done. Okay. Cause, Cause I'm wondering if like the Howling Three is the return of Eddie, and then like a Howling Four is like the the evil. Well, I can tell you. Do you want something? me to tell you? <laughs> no, no, no. We'll keep it a surprise. It'll <laughs> be fine. Well, I'll. How about this? I'll just read you the titles. Okay. Okay. That's that's not spoiler at all. Okay. okay. So Go we ahead. have the Howling from 1981, Howling Two: Your Sister Is a Werewolf from 1985. Okay. <laughs> um, Howling Three: The Marsupials from 1987. What? What? They're they go to Australia? Okay, I'm sold. This is great. This is nothing to be sold over yet. <laughs> then there's Howling Four: The Original Nightmare from 1988. Howling Five: The Rebirth from 1989. Howling Six: The Freaks from 1991. The Howling. New Moon Rising, 1995, and The Howling Reborn from 2011. Oh, I, I did not realize there was... Oh, I mean, it's like seven years ago. Just... Except here's the thing, is as soon as you left the 80s and 90s, at remaking it in 2011, you know that that transformation scene is going to be all CGI. There will be nothing practical about it. Yeah, yeah. But at least we might get one. We might get more than one. So this is this is a benefit of possibly of of this is a benefit of a later of a later movie. I know, but I mean not to disparage people who work in visual effects and CGI. I mean, I it's a different set of um technical expertise. But I don't know. I just practical effects you can't they you can't I don't know. It's I just I'm so biased. I, I need I I need it and I feel like I feel like it's the, the uncanny valley thing that's that we've talked about for several episodes. I feel like so many good effects that you see in horror movies are done practically. Um, head explosion scene from Scanners, practical effects. Most of what the Soska sisters do, practical effects. The Thing, practical effects. Uh, American Werewolf in London, practical effects. A lot of these things that go down in history and are the most talked about good or bad are practical effects. Yeah, and I think it's, especially like, you know, going back to Rob Button, like his commentary on the thing, you know, when you're limited by, you know, technology, when you don't have, you know, like the most super powerful uh, computer you really, really have to be forced to be creative with what you got, or you get—you literally have to invent, invent like new techniques just to make it work. And you know, in the '80s, with all these horror movies and practical effects, um, where it was Raining King, uh, you just had incredible talent just pushing the envelope and practicing their craft. And I, 
I mean, yes, again, uh, computers require a a high degree of technical expertise that I don't have. And, you know, maybe this is just me talking about out of my ass and because I don't really know what I'm talking about. But um, I felt like, you know, I felt like, yeah, like computers, they are dumb. And then you have to program it exactly to your specifications to make sure the end, the end product is what you want. But uh, I, I felt even even then the computer is doing a lot of heavy lifting, and I I don't know I I guess I I consider practical effects more of a te- technical marvel, but I don't know. I mean, I'm just rambling. I just love practical effects, and I think for werewolves it's one of those special cases where it matters more so than than others. Agreed. So, continuing on this route of good practical effects and a good use for that let's talk about an american werewolf in london that came out six months after the howling and blew it completely out of the water they won an oscar for the makeup effects in this movie they won so many awards for this movie they did and this movie was the was part of the inspiration was part of the werewolf inspiration for michael jackson's thriller yeah, yeah, because um, Michael Jackson was such a huge fan of the film, so he asked John Landis to help uh, to direct uh, Michael Jackson's thriller, and um, I feel like that's my first werewolf anything. Because um, I really yeah, because I, I, I if I recall, I think I mean I I've been a Michael Jackson fan as long as I can remember, and I was obsessed with. Michael Jackson's thriller, and I, feel, I I legitimately feel like it's like my first like exposure to like werewolves on, on like the the big screen. Even though it's, I mean, I mean, it's a music video, but he also produced like the fifteen minute short film around it, and that was so captivating, spellbinding, and like that transformation scene uh, is just so so badass. It's like oh god, so cool. Um, I don't. Exactly. I was also. I don't exactly recall. Um. When I saw it, or when I saw American Werewolf in London, it was sometime after. I was still super young. Um. So, but uh, this. I mean, Michael Jackson's thriller came out after American Werewolf, so I guess in that time, in that time frame, I was a little, a little bit late to the party. Um. But. That's still when I first saw it, like on like a TV rerun, or maybe it was like VHS. It was one of those two. Uh, I just like that good scene. old VHS. VHS. I hope they're. Oh, I mean, I wonder if. I mean, for or kids, if you don't know what a VHS is, <laughs> or a blockbuster, <laughs> go Google it. <laughs> uh, actually, well, no. Well, I guess people will know a lot more now because Captain Marvel will have a blockbuster in it. <laughs> Yeah, and they're going to look at it and be like, what's that? A place where we used to get movies. What do you mean you couldn't just watch them on TV? No, you spoiled brat. We had to walk and go get them ourselves. Yeah. Oh, you mean like like a red box? Yes. <laughs> like a red box. but Not even like a red box. <laughs> yeah, red box. Yeah. I take that back. Red box yeah. is like far too new. <laughs> it, it, this is true. Um... What was I saying? Yeah, so I, so, um, this is, I haven't seen this movie in a very, very, very long time. And this felt like a fresh new rewatch. And I'm so, I was so, I was so pleased at like, cause like when I, when you, when you, when I was watching as a kid, like, you know, of course, like the biggest thing to stand out was the super fabulous transformation scene with some of the the best practical effects I've ever seen in my life. But when I watched it again, like I didn't realize, I, I guess a lot of the comedy went over my head. And this movie is just so unbelievably funny. Like there's so much gallows humor and like so much like situational comedy. And it's like this, this is great. Like when his dead friend shows up and he calls him a meatloaf because he's upset that he's talking to him. 
because his grief has literally been chasing him and then catching up to him at this point in the form of his nightmares and in the form of his friend Jack. Um, when he's transforming, he even says, I'm sorry, Jack, I didn't mean to call you Meatloaf. Like, there's such great, like, situational comedy. And not to mention the fact that there's, like, two to three renditions of uh, Blue Moon, Bad Moon Rising, and one other song throughout this movie. Like, fan-fucking-tastic! Yes, it's very tongue-in-cheek, and hot take, Jack is my favorite character of, of the movie. Like, I just love how deadpan he is, especially when he's just giving giving David shit. But he... <laughs> it's so good. But I also love that every time you see him, he's decayed a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, obviously my favorite is him fresh. Yes. With the gashes and everything. Like, that's obviously my favorite. Yeah, and then and then by the end, it's like, it, it's taking on, like, creep show slash, like, Crypt Keeper levels of, of like, decay. But it's still really well done. And it's, it's spooky, but it's also, they also did the practical effects in a way where it's still comical in a way like it and it's like yeah it totally fits with the theme it's like oh yeah it's honestly still one of my favorites i mean there's a whole separate commentary on judaism and being a jew and talking about that in relation to this movie like there's i and i read a lot about it there's like a whole separate thing with that yeah i I saw i saw it was like a subtext like david's story yeah that's just a little heavy to unpack i thought that was a when I first read that, that was a little bit reaching, but I was like, oh, well, I guess he has a point. It's not that far reaching. It's just, it's a, it's a lot. I think that's something that I don't, th- well, at least for me, but also, I also was watching this like 1 a.m. So my brain was still fried too. So um, I could definitely see that on like, you know, after like a, like a, another rewatch. Well, here's the thing. Even if you never caught any of the other little tidbits, the big one that they point out is the nurse says, I think he's Jewish. Well, how do you know? Because I checked. That is like the in-your-face zinger, like you checked out his wiener and you saw it was circumcised, so you're just assuming he's a Jew. Oh, you know what? Now I think of it, I think the most blatant evidence to support that subtext is the the fever dream sequence where a bunch of Nazi werewolves break into his house. Yes, Nazi yeah. werewolves do break into his house. Yes, I just remember that right now. Okay, okay, I retracted. That's okay. It's it's kind of in your. But face. it's still it's still uh, quite a quite a bit. But the transformation scene is fucking legendary in this movie. Oh, so good! Like the claws and and just like I. Oh man, I, it's, like, I love, like, I love body horror, so just, just seeing, like, his spine, like, like, crack and distort and the snout, like, I, I, I'm a little bit fuzzy on the, the snout effects of, um, the howling, I just remember, like, a lot of bubbly, foam underneath skin but i i don't know i mean i don't know anything about practical effects really but i just the american werewolf like snout canine elongating uh segment just seemed way more like polished and smooth and i i don't know how did they do it ryan how it's so good (laughs) just as like a quick tidbit the howl that's used for this werewolf is actually made up of nine different sounds, which include a wolf, a lion, and a panther, and a car. And then for the far off one, when they're on the moors, it's actually like a pig farm, and they basically used it. It's like a it's like um, a recording of a pig farm from a distance, because they wanted the audience to go, "What the fuck is that?" And it actually kind of worked. Uh, random question: Do you know if? American Werewolf in London has a documentary. They do. Like, it's like, I know, like, The Thing has a documentary. I love that because they, they went so hardcore. John Landis actually talks a lot about 
like the whole process of all of this in a documentary. Ooh, I need to watch it. So shiny. Okay. So, talk a little bit about uh, the makeup effects for this. So, like we've said, he transforms into a werewolf two times, and the first time you can see like all of it in its full fantastic glory and grossness. And then the second time is in the movie theater at the end of the movie. And you get to see a little bit of it, but not much. But then it becomes a giant dire wolf hiding out in the alley. And you know, that's a, it's a guy on like all, all fours and in a suit. And I love it. Okay. So having had six months prior to shooting to develop the effects, Baker's secrets are now well known, but ever more convincing. He used syringes pumping into small plungers within plastic pieces to cause David's hands, feet, and face to elongate in separate shots. Hair was filmed backwards as it was ripped out from underneath a fleshy sheet, creating the image of hair growing up beneath the skin. And at a certain point, poor actor David Naughton was literally buried into the floor so that his four-legged body could be built around him before the face changed. That is the only part of the process that doesn't hold up because I noticed it because of the way his head is positioned. Like, you can tell that his head is here and the rest of the body was built around him because there isn't enough of a space for him to still have a neck. It's just like this. And, oh, well, there's no visual aid to this, so you can't see what I'm doing, but use your imagination. And that's really the only part of it that just sort of doesn't hold uh, for me, but it's so brief that it doesn't even matter. So good. So good. While Naughton had to go through four or five hours of makeup during every day of this post-production shoot, which lasted 10 days, uh, when it came time to simply build a prosthetic wolf head that grew outwards, the shooting took minutes. It's, uh, it's, it's just so inspiring. I mean, like, look at this. That is a thing of beauty right there. It's, it, like, it's just the, his neck meat is just hanging on by it looks like baloney yeah because it's what's so great there's so many layers and like it's just like it's, it's like it's like oh yeah this this part is like shredded epidermis this like this part's shredded muscle and there's like it's so you can see the layers of skin you can see the muscle it's so well done and they they did a, they did some more of that i mean i think jack was the most severe case but when all the other victims showed up in the movie theater they were still some of that similar freshly mauled makeup work and it's just so excellently done so in terms of legacy um uh the one the thing that i that really, it's really dear to my heart and um um and there's a little bit of relevant news uh, about this that came out today um American Werewolf in London was one of these landmark films to really successfully combine horror and comedy into a really workable formula. And because of this, a whole bunch of films followed, uh, emulated in that style. So like Beetlejuice, Gremlins, Evil Dead 2. And um, Edgar Wright, one of my all-time favorite directors, um, he cited uh, the movie... Um, as a major inspiration for f uh, his own filmmaking, as well as uh, uh, a landmark in within the genre. Um, so um, and um, and I just love Edgar Wright and Shaun of the Dead, and um, and, and it's it's so great that he pays homage and just just a little random random tip of facts like Edgar Wright. Um, via uh, Nick Frost announced Hot Fuzz 2, which is amazing, and I cannot wait. Um, even though it's not horror, but I mean, I guess maybe it is. There's like a small town horror with like cultists and stuff. Um, but yeah, so like just I love horror comedy and so much, and we wouldn't have such an amazing suite of them uh, if it wasn't thanks to American Werewolf. Yeah. So I think it's obvious which one of these movies you liked more. Yes, yes. I mean... Painfully so, but for a reason. If... Is there anything, though? Because 
I don't think there exists a horror movie that is perfectly flawless, but is there anything in America, because obviously we had our fair share of notes for The Howling, is there anything in terms of an American werewolf in London that you would change or do differently? See, see, this is something I want to pick your brain about. Like, I wasn't sure if this was intentional or it was meant to play up the comedy, but the fact that David's transformation was so horrific and so noisy and like no one in the flat like noticed or 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 maybe well I guess it was during working hours and so maybe no one was home but the fact that like no one on the neighborhood or like no one on the street heard him um maybe it was just like situation irony or something they just wrote off but I thought I thought that was like a quirk. I mean, I thought I I thought it was. I think it worked out from a comedic standpoint. It's just like like city people are just so like nonchalant, or like they're all wrapped in their own business. They don't even know notice like a giant wolf transforming in their own neighborhood. Well, I think there's two things that go with that. So even when after he transformed and he ate the engaged couple that was going to their friends for dinner. Even the woman, she like she pulled back the curtain. She was like, "Oh, those hooligans are at it again." Very just like matter of factly. And I think what a lot of that has to do with is the comparison to the boisterous American tourist versus the posh, uptight Brit. Think about the presentation of all of of all of that. Um, down to her apartment, everything was like clean and in order, and then all of a sudden she was wearing. She was disheveled looking in like baggy t-shirts and it's sort of like this. And a lot of the articles that I read talked about this too. It was like the American influence on the Brits and that whole comparison. But even writing off of what you said, I think they would notice, but I think isn't the whole stereotype with Brits that they just have like a stiff upper lip and they're too polite to say anything anyway? Yes, you know, that's true. Okay, that totally, that totally tracks. So... So I don't even think it would have mattered how much noise he was making. I mean, they were on the tube with a bunch of, like, punk heads with, uh, like, UV hair dye uh, with, like, leopard spots all over them. And no one batted an eyelash because they're just too polite to say anything. And again, everything, every stereotype is represented in some form or another, in some fashion or another, especially in horror movies. Um, they love to do thing like riffs on tropes and stereotypes and stuff like that. So think about the stereotype about Brits and then think of that transformation scene. Of course, nobody said anything. Yeah, that, that totally tracks. I, I accept that. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I felt like, oh, maybe, maybe it's just a little bit too nitpicky, but the thing. No that such I, thing. The, yeah, the thing that I raised eyebrows at was, um um when uh alex the nurse is confronting david in the final the final scene in the alley um well one the british police like did a terrible job of keeping her behind um out of out of harm's way i mean they just failed their job but two feeding to the stereotype of like the british crack shot um she was well in front of david and somehow, miraculously, they sh- they shot up like a whole bunch of bullets. It curved around her and managed to hit David. So, <laughs> uh, she 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 did not have a single scratch on her. Yeah, like did they just like lift the guns up and no, she didn't. But also, so we were talking a little bit about the mythos and in the howling, the mythos surrounding werewolves are very there and fully realized. In American Werewolf in London, they're a little bit hazy and everything is sort of branching off of Hollywood movies and things like that. So, like, Silver Bullets, everyone laughed at him because they're like, no, you've been watching too many movies, you dingus. Like, that's not the way this works. Just die. But he believed, because of based on what he saw in a movie, that a werewolf can be only be killed by somebody they love. So when she said, I love you... That you watched his wolf face just like relax, and he was just you know, um, but I thought they pulled her out of the way. Oh no, I guess they didn't. They just shot because he relaxed himself and he wasn't attacking anybody. He did hesitate. No, she, she. Oh, well, I mean, he he hesitated 
and I guess the I think I guess the police thought it was a lot it was long enough where they could you know take aim and take a shot I mean granted like they had an entire line of riflemen so maybe the guys in the ends shot David but the I don't know Alex was pretty far down the alley and the police were was was a fair distance away because all these Brits were were uh, like trying to flock and get a closer look at the wolf and they were trying to hold him back and um I don't know I mean again I mean British crack shots are are, are a trope so I feel like they just probably bent the bullet and it shot around Alex and hit David. It totally tracks. I mean, I mean, in the end, it, it's it doesn't take away from like the tragedy of the ending. Um, I just thought, and I, I, I was like, okay, well, I don't know if. I mean, it's the, I, the movie's still perfect. Um, I love violence in in horror movies, especially. Um, and I think in a movie with this much gore and violence, to a realistic standpoint, in terms of a transformation, I think everything's great that they did. My one qualm was the giant, way-over-the-top car accident in Piccadilly Circus. It, it was a little... It was just a little much. There were like, It was like a 50-car pile-up with oh, bodies like leaving yeah, the yeah. buses and the cars, and there was like a head <laughs> that flew, and... I was just like, that's. You you know you know why you know why they did that, Ryan? Well well well, Ryan, th- this movie was making history. It was the first film to be filmed at Piccadilly Square in like fifteen years. Um. So and they, and like. So they fucked up Piccadilly Square. No, they they milked all all that screen all that filming time for what it's worth because, uh, they could. I think they closed down traffic. Uh, but yeah, so uh, according to the trivia, um, it's really, really hard, really rare at that time to film in that location. Uh, so they managed to pull it off. And um, yeah, so they, they stopped they stopped traffic for only three times for two minute increments. Um, so I guess, you know, if you have that exclusive and iconic of a filming location, then you want to go bombastic, you want to go big. So I think... Oh, of course, go big or go home. Yeah, but, so know. I think that's exactly why that that car crash scene was just so over the top. And But I, honestly, like... I think that would be my only thing. Just, <laughs> it, just, it, it felt like it was just like a little too much, just a little bit. Like if you wanted to like milk it for all it's worth and get all the car accident stuff and whatever, I just think that you had if you were gonna do something in excess, you should pick one. It was adding flying body parts or car crashes, not both. That would be my only thing, and that's such a minute detail. I mean, I think I think just Landis Landis lucked out, and he's like, you know what, I'm gonna milk this location for what it's worth, and so yeah, I think props to him. That's great. And like he he certainly he certainly impressed the police, um, because they they granted him they granted him um, um, a extensive filming permit because they were so impressed by his work, and I guess a lot of them were happy that they were part of the part of the filming as well. So. Oh yeah, the, um, David is the guy that plays David is at, Jack Naughton is actually uh, nude at the London Zoo. Oh, really? <laughs> in that scene? Oh, yeah. So uh, they went into the zoo and they did the scene. And he's actually standing there fully nude. And he was saying how, like, the only consolation he had from the handlers with the wolves was that they were just fed. Uh, but even still, the handlers were like, yeah, don't make a lot of noise and don't make any sudden movements. Because there's still wild animals saying you have no clothes on. Um but then they did so many takes of it. They weren't supposed to be there for that long. And here's why. They did so many takes that at one point, Naughton turned around and was like, oh, I didn't realize you hired all these extras. And people turned around and they're like, no, no, they're not extras. The zoo just op- opened. We need to leave. <laughs> there were like actual people there to like have their day at the zoo and there's a naked man in a cage. That, so- that would be so hilarious if, if, I don't know, maybe there's like a quick shot or a quick scene where it's actually candid reactions of <laughs> David just running around the zoo naked. I would be willing to like go back and investigate that. I, I, th- yes, I think that'll be very meta and it, I think it just, add, I think it's just 
Yes, it would be a perfect cherry on top. So you said like the most recent. Oh wait, never mind. Okay, uh, I I remember now. So um, this news broke about a year ago, where Max Landis confirmed. So Max Landis, the son of John Landis, and um, famous for writing excellent books like uh, The Zombie Survival Guide and World War Z. Um, he confirmed on Twitter that uh, uh, he was... He confirmed that he finished the first draft of a, of a, of the script for a um, American Werewolf in London uh, remake. Um, so, so, yeah, and he would also direct it. So two things. One... No! Okay, so no. <laughs> so okay, so you're you're flatly against this. I don't care. No. Okay. E- even even though that like yes. it's <laughs> absolutely <laughs> okay. Hmm. Um. No, I don't care that stayed in the family. No. Because there's a reason why an American Werewolf holds up and the Howling doesn't. I can give you any kind of money that I will probably like the 2011 version of The Howling more than the 1981 version, purely because I think it'll give us something, some of the things that I felt we were lacking from the first one. Um, But again, like all concerns that I have when it comes to something that's a little bit more in the modern day, a lot of these newer movies and newer uh, studios, not studios necessarily, but newer um, designers, they don't rely on practical effects as much. Everything is CGI. Well, counterpoint, this being Max Landis, his son, like, you would think he would be the... what? That doesn't mean shit. That doesn't okay, mean yeah, shit. Okay, yeah, okay. But do you think he would honor the legacy of, like, practical effects? Or, I mean... I would like to hope he would, but there's no guarantee for that. Okay, this is true. Yeah. Um, okay. Like, he could very well turn around and have the perspective of... We did practical effects in my father's day because that's all they had. Now let's do something that he couldn't do and make it better by doing this. He could completely go, yeah, I don't know. And that scares the shit out of me. Okay. Uh, perfectly valid. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, this was a year ago and it was only a draft of a script. I don't think there's any other news about it so i i I think it might be in development hell right now well yeah don't forget somebody still has to pick it up and decide hell yeah i want to be a part of that hopefully people are smart and they're like no i don't want to touch this yeah well i mean this is the second attempt at a remake Uh, apparently there's another attempt to remake it in 2009 okay well clearly he's not getting the hint (laughs) well this was this was um different a different set of directors um it wasn't max landis um, but what the other question I wanted to follow up with, if this if this remake were to take place in let's say like 2019, would the story work in a 2019 setting? Um, I don't think it would. Well, I think you have added things to take into consideration to if you as soon as you make something more modern, you have to take into effect that um, you have to take into account that. Porno theaters are not a thing anymore, uh, and social media is very relevant. Someone, like, I could very easily see an American Werewolf in London, like, as an end title card, be, like, the title of a YouTube video that someone's watching, or something on Snap. Like, social media has to play a relevant part in all of that, and you have to deal with all of that. I would immediately think a cover-up would be very difficult because knowing Americans, especially if they're like young, stupid Americans, <laughs> backpacking across Europe. You can bet that they would have shit on their phones of them like on the moors, like, hey, look at us. Yeah. Or or like, or someone would be stupid enough to take a selfie or like live stream their own death or live stream their friend being mauled by giant werewolves. So, Yeah. I mean, I could totally see that happening. Um, and it's like, uh, there's no need for a cover-up. It's like, oh, hey. No, and I don't, I don't know if having that would work. 
Like, I don't know if social media translates to something as old as werewolf mythos. I think social media just takes out the the mystique and mystery of all. Because, like, um, you know, part of part of the probably all the tension is like, um, it's just like, oh, uh, no, wolves, werewolves, that's crazy, and and there's no evidence to, well, there's no like hard evidence to like really, like back up that claim. Is you have to take it on the word of a crazy person um quote unquote and if you have social media it's so easy to record stuff you're like i i got attacked by a werewolf prove it and then you just pull out your phone and like oh here's a photo here's a video yeah i don't know if it would i think by remaking it in a modern setting you take something that has held up for 30 plus years and it no longer will hold up because you're you'll be trying to do something that just doesn't work the reason why it holds up is because of those effects, because of the comedy, because of the setting, because of those little stereotypes that just work. Um, I don't think you would have nearly the same effect if you tried to do it now. And you know what? Some, some movies are sacred. Not even sacred. Some movies just don't need to be remade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Gremlins, I, I mean... feel like it, lo- it would lose its charm if you tried to remake it now. Because Gizmo wouldn't be a puppet. Gizmo would be CGI. He would be a ball on a stick. Yeah. And uh, we, we went over this with the thing. I mean, the 2011 movie, you know, they it was a prequel, but still a sequel. And they did a whole bunch of practical effects stuff, which was great. And then they fumbled it by painting over CGI stuff all over, all over it. So it looks super fake. And it's like, oh, you wasted all that work for nothing. How could you? Right, and it's also just like it's unnecessary. Okay, cool. Well, hot takes from Ryan and, and me and I. So don't remake it and just watch the original. And I f- hope, hopefully... Stay, stick to your roots. Yes. Stick to your roots. And um, have you watched the sequel, American Werewolf in Paris? No, I've never watched okay. it. Okay. Um, it, and I'm quite comfortable in saying. Okay, is that something we want to do or <laughs> keep that? I will explore that for you. Okay. But then, I won't be happy about it. Oh, wait, <laughs> did it get bad reviews? I don't know. I just, I remember thinking about watching it and hesitating because of how much I love the first one. Mm-hmm. Also, is it like a true sequel? It's a loosely based sequel i guess based on the, the the franchise i mean it's also a horror comedy but it's not written it's not um i don't think john lannis has anything to do with it i mean it's okay. a different director altogether it's anthony waller um john lannis is not even like a producer on this either well we can explore that okay food for thought i'd be okay with that let's explore it yeah cool all right, so clearly my favorite was American Werewolf in London. Um, I think it was. I I felt it was like no contest. I mean, to be honest, like I I, I know this may be a, l- a little bit unfair to the Howling. It just in the conditions I was watching it because I was so sleep deprived and my brain was fried. But like, it's okay. I don't. I don't know. I just by a mile, just American Werewolf in, in London was the clear winner and i'm not to say like i didn't enjoy the howling there was like some parts i really enjoyed but i don't think the package was as neatly wrapped or cohesive or as uh presented yeah yeah agreed um but yeah so that was it for our uh werewolf special um um ryan where can all of our dreadfuls find our uh, amazing show? They can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Left for Dread Pod. Forgot that for a second. Hello, coffee's wearing off. We have a Facebook group. You can find us on Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, and iTunes at Left for Dread. Come find us. Yes, and whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on, like iTunes, um, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, um, 
just whatever platform you listen to us on um if you enjoy our show you enjoy all of our rants and our head cannons um give us a uh, a like rating uh five stars so some constructive criticism we're always experimenting and tinkering with the show um so yeah just let us know what you like or what you what we, we can do better and we'll do that for you and um last but not least uh please subscribe to the show so you can subscribe or hit that subscribe button on all those podcatchers and if you still have some trouble um we also have an rss feed you can copy paste in there and you'll never miss an episode fuck yeah Woo! Woo! all right so um uh, I think this may be our last episode, or last normal episode of the year. Um, Ryan, you can you, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, we have, uh, yeah, I, I know we have some bonus episodes um, in the pipeline, but I think this is our, uh, yeah, and it's gonna be 2019. It's crazy. Um, I know Thanksgiving is pet. I know yeah, it's 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 been wild. We've been doing this for like seven, eight months, and um, I know like Thanksgiving's passed. But I just want to thank everyone uh, who's who's listened to this and uh, tweeted about the show. Uh, this is really awesome, and uh, we we I think this is a long time coming because like Ryan Ryan came on board with Super Nerd Pals with our Halloween special because. Uh, she really loved horror and I really love horror and, and this is just like a, a, a really awesome creative outlet for us to bond and to just geek out over horror and to share with all you awesome dreadfuls out there. So, um, just want to say thank you, Ryan, and thank you dreadfuls for making this experience so awesome. And we have so many things planned for 2019. Like I, it's, it's just, it's so wild how many much. Things. it's it's crazy i don't know um maybe we'll go back to a weekly <laughs> a weekly posting schedule because like it's there's all, just there's so much there's, there's so much there yeah uh, yeah we, you know might, we might be biting off more than we can chew but that's okay if we can if we can i put it this way i figure that if we can release two episodes a week for an entire month of october we can do one episode a week but we'll see how everything plays out but we're hoping by the time 2019 rolls around it'll be new and improved and we'll have a couple of things that we get to introduce you guys to so we're gonna try and make 2019 a great friggin year yes um very exciting time and so um yeah i mean we'll, we'll have a bonus episode in the pipeline but this is our last official episode of the year so um if you happy new year guys yeah yeah if you oh miss God. if you missed the bonus episode like happy new year's merry christmas happy winter solstice happy yule uh kwanzaa happy hanukkah all, all that good stuff uh all that good shit all that good shit good stuff and good shit and uh yeah a happy belated krampus not we're we're big krampus fans so yeah now we celebrate krampus not so yes Yes. Deal. Please go listen to that episode, uh, episode yes. twenty-one. It's so good. <laughs> and then wait for us to come back. Indeed. Okay. Right, cool. Well, thank you, Dreadfuls. Uh, we love you all, and uh, we'll see you in the next episode. And we'll see you in twenty nineteen. And until then, stay dreadful. <laughs> <laughs>